0: Money, money, we we, way, way back, a few weeks ago started the the series and we came with the three sort of founding principles with regard to money and that's first and foremostly God owns everything and God owns everything and he makes us the steward of what he owns, we look after it for him. And God is the author of private ownership of property. We, we are blessed and we've given this responsibility to own what is God's and look after it while we're here. A right attitude to money comes from a right attitude to God. In fact, a right attitude to anything in this life comes from a right attitude to God. And in particular when it comes to, to money, we need to focus on God. We need to focus on eternity, and we need to focus on being content. And we can only truly be content as if we are right with God. And we can only be truly focusing on eternity if we are right with God. And So we need to come to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ, just as I was speaking to the children. We need to be trusting in His Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' death paying the price for our sins and his resurrection proving that the price was paid in full. And then as we've gone on to looking to how to gain money, we, we saw gaining money and earning money in the context of Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And sadly, so often this goes wrong because we do the grasping for the other things. We do the dreaming for the other things. And God and his kingdom and his righteousness are pushed out. And friends, if we want to be living the way God wants us to live, we have to get that the right way around. We have to be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. When we were thinking of uh, money, we were thinking of how we could earn it and we realized that we can earn it as a gift. Someone gives it to you. It can be earned legitimately as in you've worked hard or it can be earned illegitimately as in you've done something illegal or illicit and there was great warnings uh, about that. And then last week we moved on to the the subject uh, of giving. And the big thing that was there, that the foundation was the fact that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet, for your sake, became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 got so much teaching on giving and that in chapter 8 verse 9 is a core verse and we were seeing there that our motivation for giving is Jesus. Jesus who gave himself totally and utterly for us so that we can have our sins forgiven should be our motivation for giving. We went on and looked in Matthew uh, chapter 6, and the first few verses there, and we saw from those verses that Jesus expects us to give. Jesus wants us to give for the right reasons. Jesus wants us to give to the needy. And Jesus tells us that our giving is to God. And then we moved on, and very quickly we looked at the fact from 2 Corinthians and, and chapter 9, particularly. That if we give, we will be blessed. But our giving must be willing. We must be wanting to do it. We must be those that are giving cheerfully. And we have to give within our means. And so as we developed these and thought about these, they were giving us principles and thoughts about our giving. But as I was going through this last week, I was realizing that there is so much more to be said. And particularly in the context of where you're coming from, where we're coming from, as I mentioned last week, and as it came out in our discussion time afterwards, there is lots of fake news. There's lots of fake news about giving, there's lots of untruths about giving. And I wanted us today to to have a bit of time to think about those untruths and then look at the truth from God's Word. And then next week, God willing. I want us to have an object lesson from giving from uh, the widow who gave. But that's for next week, God willing. Now, has anyone heard of Prophet Abraham? Not, not, not Prophet Abraham from 4,000, 6,000 years ago, depending on how you count. But Prophet Abraham from Nigeria. Just last month... Prophet Abraham was arrested. He was arrested for selling tickets to heaven. (laughs) Prophet Abraham had had a word from God. And he was told to charge people 310,000 naira as a rapture fee. And if you pay the 3, uh, and, and no, 3, 310,000 naira as a rapture fee, that was going to be your ticket to heaven. For those of you that are not sure about what a naira is, that's about 12,000 Turkish lira. Not a little amount of money, but could have been more? In fact, as one commentator said, if I was going to get into heaven, I'd be expecting to be charged a lot more than that. And the reality is... The only way to heaven is through the death of God's Son. What an insult this is to Jesus. Jesus who is the God-man himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth, that is the price of heaven. And yet this charade of a prophet was proclaiming that it was told to him and apparently there is A whole lot of people sat in his compound, patiently waiting the rapture. Now, I'm sure that none of you here would fall for that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's silly. But there are people falling from it. And there is so much fake news about giving. And and there's so much... Untruths about giving. I want to address some of the main things that you may have heard. And what's most worrying about false teaching and fake news is so often it has some truth in it. Yeah. So there's there's four terms that are being used now, right now, to encourage you to give tithes. All heard of tithes, yeah? First fruits, yeah. Seed offerings, we like them, don't we? And offering of free will offerings. Now you see, sadly, there are so many people in this world purporting to be pastors, purporting to be men of God. And all they are is businessmen who are wanting to extract your money from you. Not for God's kingdom, but for their own pockets and more and more so nowadays it's for their own private jets so I want us to look at this fake news I want to take some of these uh, statements these these biblical terms that are being used to encourage people to give and I just want to see them as they're being taught falsely first so everyone, you must be really, really, really clear on this, uh, and I'll be mentioning these are false all the way through this because I want someone picking up Facebook, uh, listening for two minutes and thinking I'm saying something I'm not. Yeah. So th- this, this is this is this is fake news. This is false news. Tithing. Now, now, tithing is is in God's word, and we'll, we'll see that in a moment properly. And, and tithing is this idea of giving ten percent. And often, more often than not, you are told to give 10% of your gross income to the pastor or to the church. And so it then develops. And the idea is this. A tithe ensures that God secures your wealth. Yes, a tithe ensures that God secures your wealth by rebuking the devourer. Have you heard that phrase before? Have you heard those ideas? That by giving your tithes, it's like an insurance policy. We, we, we pay our tithes to God, and then God will... Uh, I'm not sure who this devourer is. Perhaps it's inflation. Perhaps gonna, God's going to go around brooking inflation. Perhaps it's the economy. I, I don't, but this is where people are at, yes. This is what's being taught. And, and, I, and I certainly know that your money in your pocket often doesn't last as long as the month. It gets devoured, doesn't it? And whether this is by someone stealing it or something coming in, the idea is you give your tithe to the pastor, and then God will secure your income by rebuking the devourer. Underlining, health warning, that is false news. That's fake news. First roots. First fruits work like this: If you get uh, an increase on your salary or your wage, you must give that first increase to the pastor or the church. So you were earning ten thousand liras a month, and you probably said, "If only." You're earning for the example to make the maths easy: ten thousand Turkish lira a month, and your boss gets struck by lightning and comes to you and says, "I'd like to give you a pay rise." Because the only way they're going to give you a pay rise here is if they get struck by lightning, isn't it? (laughs) And he graciously, lovingly says, here is an extra 2,000 Turkish lira. And what do you have to do with that 2,000 Turkish lira, that first one you get? You have to bring it to the pastor. You have to bring it to the church. It is your first fruit. And, And why should you do that? Because if you do this, you'll secure lots of blessing. You'll secure future uh, and better work and better promotions and better pay increases. And and, and some churches have took this a little further and saying, well, actual fact, this last year has not been very good economically for us. No one's getting a pay rise. So what you have to do in that situation, January, your January pay is your first fruit. And some of you may have come from churches where that's happened. Some of you may be familiar with this. And so January comes and you have to bring all of January's pay and and take it to the front and and, and give it as your first fruit. And that's going to bless you for the whole of the year, isn't it? You do that and you, you give your first fruit and then God has got to bless you for the whole of the year. You've got to be financially stable for the whole of the year. It is fake news. The seed offering, the seed offering, if you want a breakthrough or a blessing, if you want to graduate with honors, if you want to get to America, if you want to find that husband or wife, or perhaps you've got that husband and wife in mind, and you you come with your seed, and you and you give it to the pastor, you give it to the man of God, and he takes it and he says, I will pray for you. Or maybe you don't even tell them, but you just put it in there and, and, you, and you write on this, the envelope what it's for. This is a seed for this. And, and this is often taught with the fact that the more you give, the more you'll get back. If you want to get to America, you need to give dollars. If you want to get to the UK, you need to give sterling. If you want to get to Nigeria, well, put Naira in. <laughs> And apparently, apparently, a seed offering is the quickest way of cancelling debt. So you've racked up some loans. How do you get rid of them? <coughs> Pa-boom, put it in the offering. Make it a seed. And, and this is what is being taught. And then offerings, just straight offerings, uh, free will offerings. This is similar to seed offerings. It has the same result. Uh, if you give this money to the church or the ministry you choose... Uh, it will bless you. It will it will help you. It, it will do great things for you. But you must remember that the free will offering cannot be your tithes. Yeah, it has to be over and above your ties. You see, it, the, these things only work together because if you confuse these four, yeah, if you get these mixed up, you'll miss out on your blessing. Or if you don't give it correctly or, or generously enough, you lose out on your blessing. I'm beginning to wonder why we have these special clauses here of how we can lose our blessing. Uh, and if you give in all the other areas, yes, you, you're very generous with your uh, giving to the free will. You're very generous in your seed. You're very generous in your first fruits. But if you don't give your tithe, then you lose all your other financial blessings because God could not rebuke the devourer for your sake. Now maybe you've done it absolutely spot on. And and you've got it all right. Your tithe has been worked out to the last fraction. Your, Your first fruits have been given abundantly. You've blessed many people with your free will offerings. It's all been done properly, and still you don't get the blessing. What's the problem then? The problem then is, my friends, you have sin in your life. And God will not bless you because there's sin in your life. And it's never, ever, ever, ever the fault of the man or the woman or the person, or the institution that's asking you or telling you to do this. The small print is a get-out-of-jail-for-free card. This is fake. And it's all well and good for me to say it is fake, but what I want to do now is I want to say, what does the Bible say about those four areas of giving? What does the Bible say? Because it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what God's Word says. And so we need to go back to God's word. And I'm sure what I've just said, and I'm sure my saying that is fake, may have offended some people. Not here possibly, but certainly people would have heard that and be offended. And in some ways I don't care about that. Because what I care about is God's word. Now if you come up to me afterwards and say, what about this in the Bible? What about this? Let's look at this. That's good. And and speak to us, yes? Because I might got it wrong. But what I've faithfully wanted to do is gone back to God's word to explain to us this morning why that is fake and what we should be doing about it. What does the Bible say about tithing? You see, tithing is in the Bible. Absolutely. We're not going to decry that. The Tithing is a giving of a percentage of your earnings. In fact, tithing in in the old covenant was a big deal of what was about. If you go to Leviticus and chapter 27... And it talks about, in verse 30, the the tithe of the land. Whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And and so there's this idea that everything that they were getting back then, these children of Israel who God had brought out of Egypt into the promised land, they were told to give 10% of it. 10% of of what's of the land, the seed, the fruit. It's the Lord's. It's holy. It's holy. But if a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, so he doesn't want to give every one bag out of ten of the bags of seed he's got, then he can buy that bag back, but he has to pay an extra fifth on top of it. Verse 23, verse 32. Every tithe of the herds, the flocks, a tenth animal, all that passes under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between the good or the bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. And if you go into Deuteronomy Uh, Chapter 14 and verse 22, it it says the same thing. And there's lots of passages in the Old Testament telling us what the tithe is and telling us how the tithe worked. And it was provision for those in need. We read that in the passage in Deuteronomy we read. It's provision to help those that don't have enough. It's provision to look after the Levites whose life has been dedicated to the Lord's work. It took care of the spiritual leaders of the land, it took care of those that were in financial need. Now, friends, we have to remember this that the Old Testament law for the Jews doesn't necessarily translate into a New Testament commandment. And, and Jesus points this out to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he tells the scribes and the Pharisees, you've got it all wrong. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees were concentrating on tithing. And, and they would get the little tiny seeds, and they'd go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one to Jesus, or one to God. One to, and Jesus speaks to them. you're looking at the minute, you're looking at this and what you should be looking at is the weightier matters of the law. It says that in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Concentrate on the weightier matters of the law. You see, this teaching of tithing was for the Old Testament Jew and in the New Testament, the Jews that were doing it had got it wrong then. So it changed into something that it shouldn't have been over a period of time. And a Hebrews. Chapter 7, if you go through that chapter, it, it marks out tithing as an Old Testament principle for the Jewish people. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying now. I don't want to be misunderstood. There is no New Testament compulsion to tithes. There's no New Testament compulsion to tithes. But, now listen, I think that tithing can very helpfully guide our giving. Yeah? So I couldn't here tell you that you have to tithe and you only are being obedient to God if you tithe. That'd be wrong. What I am saying is that tithing was a principle that God brought in for his people to help them to give. And what I'm saying is going forward, you may well find tithing as a really helpful principle to help you to give. But nowhere does it say in the New Testament that tithing will secure you financial security. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say that it'll protect you from, what was that, the ravager or the what? I've forgotten. Sorry? The devourer. It's just bunkum. It's not there. But there is a strong telling in God's word that we should be giving because Jesus told us to. And if you're struggling to know how much to give or struggling how to work that out, well, why don't you use the tithe as a guide? And we have to remember that if you do all the maths on the tithing that they did back then, it was far more than 10%. So let's think carefully about what we give. That fake news is fake. It's not in God's word. And if you go to the, the first fruits, again, the first fruits is an Old Testament principle for the, for the Old Covenant Jewish people. And it was what they gave by way of thanksgiving to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 10, it says, uh, Behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. I set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord our God. And, and there's lots of other verses we could look at in the Old Testament that talk about this idea of the first fruit. And it was a way of thanking God for what he's done. They, they gave the first fruits. They, they brought them to God. They said, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for giving us this harvest. Thank you for giving us this uh, New lamb or this new cow, or thank you for helping us with this firstborn. And, and this was what they did. They, 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 the first fruits was an Old Testament principle, and it was underlying the fact that they should give thanks to God. The first fruits were a reminder of God's goodness. And as a reminder of God's goodness, they wanted to thank God for His goodness. Now, Nowhere in the New Testament does it really encourage to give first fruit offerings. I haven't found it. If you have, let me know. I'm I'm very willing to to look at these verses if you bring them to me. But I think what we have to remember here, yes, is it's not about first fruits, but it's about thanksgiving. And and there's nothing in the Old Testament to link first fruits to securing financial blessings. That these securing financial blessings are things that have been added by people to sell the idea to you. That the idea of giving of our first fruits should be to show thankfulness. And so I don't think there's a compulsion now to give first fruits. I don't think there's a compulsion to give your January salary. I don't think there's a compulsion to give your pay rise. But what there is a compulsion to do is to be thankful to God. To be thankful to God for everything that he gives us. He is a good God. He has blessed us with so much. And so how can we practically show our thanksgiving? By our pocket. And we can give to the Lord. But there's no teaching of a compulsion here. There's no teaching that this is a formula to make things better or right for you. Friends, we should be thinking, what a great God. How kind he's been to me. Yeah? He's he's, he's provided for me in this way. I want to show my thanks in some way. How can I do that? And and we have to remember that uh, we, we may not have the ability to thank God with financial money. But you can give your time. You can give your gifts. You can thank God in so many ways. You can be a blessing to someone else by just encouraging them, sitting with them, putting yourself out. And so... The idea that a first fruit is something to get something back is wrong. But I think it would be good of us to think of a first fruit in the idea of thankfulness. Are we showing our thankfulness to the Lord? And in this day and age when money is so important, what better way of showing thankfulness to God by with what is of of great value? I want to move on to the, the seed uh, the idea of the seed offering is taken from the New Testament. Uh, and in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul sets out some principles on, on giving to the church. And we just need to see a bit of context here. Because so often when we take God's word out of context, we can make it say pretty much whatever we want. And so the context here is... There was a need in the church in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the church had financial pressures. They were going through a downturn. They were going through problems. Maybe they even had inflation. I don't know. But there was a real financial need. And there were poor believers, uh, believers that needed believers in Jerusalem that needed help. And we can read about them in Romans 15. And in verse 25, Paul is talking. He says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achizia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And this links into this 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 because this is what's going on here and Paul's involved with this and Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and he's he's encouraging them to, to help them to know how to give so that they can meet the need. Giving to meet a need. He wasn't encouraging them to give to get more in their pockets. He was encouraging them to give because there was a need. And he goes through this teaching and and Paul uses the illustration of a seed as to how the gift works. Yeah? Yeah? And in 2 Corinthians, in in, in chapter 9, in verses 6 to 5, some of the things that we saw last week, there is no compulsion. They didn't have to give. They weren't told you have to give, but they were encouraged to give, and they were encouraged to be generous and cheerful in their giving. Now, I I know that I've spoken uh, about... Uh, and, and, and said that I don't think it's a good idea having the baskets in the front and everyone coming up dancing and, and throwing their money in in a big open way. But there is a sense where there's something right about that, isn't there? There's a joyfulness there. If, that, if that's real joy, that's special. That's, that's, when, you, when you drop your money in the offering box, it should be a sense of joy. If you're thinking what you could have done with that money if you hadn't have given it to God, then you've probably got a bit of a wrong attitude to giving. Yeah. There should be a joyfulness. You're not compelled to do it. There should be a joyfulness, a happiness, a generosity to, to what you're doing. And, and, and the gift that you put in and the gift that these Corinthians have put in is like a seed. Yeah. There was a huge need in Jerusalem. And you can imagine someone thinking of the need in Jerusalem. We could we could possibly think of it like this. That there's, there's huge needs in parts of the world, isn't there, now? If you think of what's happening in Lebanon, and if we went to our pastor friend there and said, how much money do you need? He would come back with a figure that's eye-watering. Perhaps you need a, a million, two million. we think, what? And, and you go to your offering box and you put in your ten liras. You're thinking, how is that going to suffice that need? And this is the wonder what's going on. You see, the, the, the seed here is not for your own blessing. It's for God's work. That the blessing that's been talked about here and the growth that's been talked about here is saying that your little seed, your little offering that you are putting in, God is going to use to continue his work. It's an evidence of the good works that we're called to. It's all about righteousness. That's the blessing that we're looking for. It provides for the needy. It ensures that God's work continues. It's the evidence of good works that we're called to. It's all about righteousness. It's not about you gaining more yourself. That's not what the passage is teaching. But people take it out of context and say, Aha, this is what it means. You give a little, you get a lot back. No, you may give a little and God can do remarkable things with it. Five pieces of bread and two fish. And God fed 5,000. I mean, one day I'm going to hear someone preaching about that, about a seed offering, aren't I? And say that the boy, the boy was smart. Should, but no, let's, let's, this is about God's work. And God makes the increase. And in making that increase, God does bless us. God does bless us. I'm not for a minute going to say that there isn't a blessing in giving. God's word tells us it's more blessed to give than receive. But isn't it interesting? It's more blessed to give than receive. What are so many people giving for? To receive. They've got the maths wrong. The passage says it's better to give than receive. And and they're giving because they want to receive. And know that it's the giving that's better than the receiving. In God's economy. Because when we're giving to God's work, it's for God's kingdom to grow. It's for his kingdom to come. And I think Paul second-guessed what was going on in these Corinthians' minds. They were told to be generous. And maybe you want to be generous. Maybe you've got a desire to give, and you want to give, and and you think, well, how, how can I be generous? And, and, and 2 Corinthians 9:10 spells it out, it's spelling out to the Corinthians, "He who supplies the seed to the sower, the bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness." So the Corinthians are saying, "How can we afford to be generous?" And Paul's saying, "God supplies the seed." God supplies that. And if you sow that seed, he will supply you with more seed so that you can do what with it? Put it in your pocket and get a big bank balance? No. So that you can give more. And the more that's given, the fruit gets bigger and God's kingdom goes on. And this isn't about your own personal bank balance erupting and exploding into masses of money. This is talking about God's kingdom. The growth here is about God's kingdom. His kingdom coming, his kingdom growing, more people being saved, poor people being looked after, the needy being taken care of. And so yes, they're told to be generous so that they could have more to be generous with so that God's righteous kingdom will grow and it will increase the harvest of your righteousness not the harvest of your bank account, not the harvest of your Bitcoin wallet, not the harvest of your promotions. It will richly increase the harvest of your righteousness. If you're generous in your giving for the right reason, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. And he will bless your givings in the terms of his righteousness. Yeah. And it may be that your giving does cost you financially. Maybe you had aspirations of an iPhone 13 and you said, I'll just settle with a 9. And you're still waiting for the 15, 16, 17. It's not how it works. There's a cost to it. But there's a blessing to it. And there's a blessing in terms of righteousness because who knows what God will do with that difference? Who knows what great things will happen in his kingdom as a result of it? Who knows what personal blessing you will have from it in regard to your growth and your spirituality? This passage is not teaching about a transaction. It is not teaching if you give to God, he will bring more back. None of God's word teaches that as a concept. It's an unrighteous concept. And it's been abused for people to get their own personal financial gain. It is an absolute shame that the Forbes magazine, the Money Wealth magazine, have a category for pastors. Pastors you can look up and you can find the world's richest pastors. And they have millions. And some of these have millions live in countries where their people are starving. And still they come in front of the masses. And still in front of the masses they say, bring your money and you will be blessed. Bring your money and you will get more. And all that's happening is their pockets are being filled. And the devil is laughing because that money is not being used for the kingdom. Yes, there is blessing in giving, but there's no guarantee for financial gain. We're blessed because we're being obedient. And there's blessing in being obedient. We're blessed when we see God's kingdom come. Isn't it wonderful when we hear of what God is doing in, in different parts of the world, you think, yes, we, we were involved as a church and we helped Lebanon. And then that happened. And we were involved with that, that church in uh, Kazakhstan that needed rebuilding. And we helped there. God's kingdom's coming. And we're blessed when we see the harvest of righteousness. We're blessed when we see God working in our hearts and making us more Christ-like. We're blessed when we see God working in the hearts of those around us, and making us more righteous. And there is blessing in giving, but there is no guarantee for personal financial gain. And if that is your motive, it's wrong. The offering, the free will offering, this concept goes right back to the Old Testament, right back to Deuteronomy 16, uh, verse 10 you shall keep the feast of the weeks to the lord your god with a tribute of a free will offering from your hand which you shall give as the lord your god blesses you and so the idea is that as you had stuff over and above your tithing if you're a jewish person at that time you would give to the lord you give freely to him and, and this principle continues into the New Testament. We can see it in the New Testament. We can see it in uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 and in verses 1 to 2. Paul is talking about this collection for the saints. And he says, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are to do also. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, we have to be careful how we read that, because it can be twisted. It can be twisted to say that you, you store it up and then you'll be prospering. No, it's out of what God has blessed you, you store up and you give to the Lord's work. You give freely. Now, there's, there's nothing here about a tithe. There's nothing here about a seed. There's nothing here about... Uh, a first fruit, it is just saying each week when you come together we are going to collect money. And we're going to collect this money for the saints. And this situation was particularly those saints in Jerusalem that were needy. And so it would seem that this Old Testament idea of a free will offering translates into the New Testament, and into the life of the church. Uh, and a feature of the early church was that on their Sunday meetings, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, that first day of the week, they would take a collection. They would take a collection. Money would be given. And it how much? Freely. How much? Joyfully. How much? Generously. How much? And you go back on the list and you go around. But there's no compulsion here. And what wants to happen is for the people to be wanting to give it. So friends, I hope what we're seeing here is how those truths have been taken out of context and wrongly and what should be going on. Yes, as we saw last week, we are to give. Jesus expects his disciples to give, but not as a transaction to get. He wants us to give out of our love, out of our motivation. And it was the first point from last week, wasn't it? That Jesus is our motivation for giving. Jesus should be our primary motivation for giving. And and, and these chapters uh, 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians, where we spent most of our time this morning, end with some amazing words. I remember Brother Edging as he read them last week and he almost caught his breath. And it should catch our breath because as we get to this end of this passage on, on giving and we get there and it comes with these words, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's, it's a breathtaking concept, his inexpressible gift. What is this inexpressible gift? Is it a financial breakthrough? Is it financial security? Is it mega riches? Is it getting your degree? What is this inexpressible gift? You see, the world looks to the world for what that could be. And we look beyond the world. We realize from this passage what this inexpressible gift from God is. Let's look at the look at the context. Let's go back to the context. Let's go back to uh, verse 13. Verse 13, talking to these people. And it says, because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. The inexpressible gift is the gospel of Christ. The inexpressible gift is this surpassing grace of God which we have. This is the gift. This is what should be driving our giving, is the fact that Christ came to this world to save us from our sins. Christ who made us in the beginning, Christ who made the world, Christ who is God incarnate, King of kings and Lord of lords, came to this world. And gave himself totally. Although he were rich, he became poor. What an understatement. And he came and he was nailed to the cross. And then nailing him to the cross didn't take his life. He gave his life. He gave his life freely. He gave his life because the wages of sin is death. And Christ didn't deserve to die. But we deserve to die. We deserve eternal death. We deserve God's wrath being poured out upon us. Yet Christ came and took God's wrath upon him. For every one of your sins, those of you that are believing and trusting in him, he took it on the cross. And then he gave up his life for you. And it was surpassing grace. And it's the gospel of Christ. And this is the inexpressible gift, friends. You see, our giving brings God glory because it's the fruit of our salvation. Let's just run that through. Our giving brings God glory because it's the fruit of his salvation. It is the fruit of this inexpressible gift. Verse 13 of this same chapter says, By approval of this service, they will glorify God. Friends, when you drop your five lira, your ten lira, your hundred lira, whatever it is in the offering, you are glorifying God. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That should be what's motivating I give you. No, what, what do I get? No, this is God who has saved me. God who has sent his only son for me. As I drop offering in there, as I give freely from the little or the great that I have, as I give happily, as I give joyfully, as I give generously, God the Father in heaven is glorified. That's how we should be motivated. That's what should be stirring us up. We should be giving We should be giving because God has given us everything. We should be giving because God gave his only son for our salvation. We should be giving because our giving will glorify God. We should be giving for the provision of all the saints. We should be giving to thank God for what he's done for us in our salvation and to thank God for what he's done for us day by day. And friend, if you are here and you are giving to get, you've totally and utterly missed the point. And I feel for you. Your existence is miserable and sad because you don't know the inexpressible gift of Christ. If you're giving for any other reason than Jesus, then it's probably you don't understand or you don't know what God's inexpressible gift is. And friend, if you if you are here now and you don't know God's inexpressible gift, myself or one of the pastors after the service would love to talk with you we'd love to point you to Christ. Because unless you have Christ, it doesn't matter how much you give, it's going to be of no benefit to you. We have to accept Christ's gift, God's gift of Christ, and then we can live. And if you haven't, you are not living. You're existing. And friends, I think we all should be totally stirred up in the thought that we should be giving because God has given us everything. He's given us his only son for our salvation. And as we give to him, we will glorify him. As we give to him, we will give thanks to God. And as we give to him, we will make provision for all the work that he's going to do now. I want to give you all a few moments just to think and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you personally to what your application is And then we will pray and sing together.